Welcome to Open Source Stories. My name is Julia Ferrioli. My pronouns are she, her, and I am sitting in my office in Seattle on a very windy day. So hopefully my internet will not cut out. Um, I am talking to Don Wages today. Don, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, so happy to be here. I am in Philadelphia. It is cloudy but pretty nice out today so i i'm not worried about my internet um and uh so i am a uh i like to call myself a web data and ethical open source engineer <laughs> um that kind of encapsulates my seven odd years in uh in development and my interest in web and data and and my 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 commit my committal to ethics and open source as well so i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more but excited to be here absolutely thank you don um so we do like to start with a little bit of an off-topic question i mm -hmm. hear you have dogs i do what kind of two dogs do you have ah uh, two beautiful dogs uh they're both like kind of mutts they look very much like their braids but then a little off so i have a beagle um and he is as loud and as hungry as you think um and i have a rottweiler who uh Ooh. so my beagle is nine and my rottweiler is five and he is way sweeter than you think so uh yeah they're a pair they like to get in trouble they like to bug me they like to be the center of attention and they are <laughs> We, um, Roddy's are so sweet. They're such yes. they're such great dogs. Ugh. Um, yeah. I I have a apparently a labradoodle, though she doesn't look like one. <laughs> um, she's actually made an appearance on Open Source Stories because she barked her head off during what? the session. So. Oh, what a cutie! <laughs> Whatever she wanted, did she get it? Um, she probably wanted to go meet a dog that was walking outside so no, yeah. she didn't okay <laughs> okay <laughs> I yeah. get it. um so you mentioned being an ethical open source engineer mm -hmm. can you elaborate a little bit on what that means to you yeah i don't i i think it's important to put a name on it because i think it 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 brings to light and brings to the top of, you know, by my title, what is important to me. Um, but it's nothing, um, it's nothing too, uh, I don't know, large. There's no boot camp I had to go through beforehand. I just really put ethics first before, um, as I uh, proceed with my, my career, um, and all of all of engineering really touches a lot on open source tools. They're all built on top of each other. Um, so, um, as I choose my stack for my clients when I am consulting, or as I contribute to projects, or um, as I am choosing a license, um, which is one of the things that I am more um, active in, in the ethical open source license uh, movement, um, I am putting ethics first and uh, trying to take a more farm to table approach uh, where I'm understanding really uh, who the actors in the community are and what does the repo stand for and um really 
focusing on that there's no piece of code or there's no activity that is really truly apolitical um, and uh, leaning into that movement. Um, and I have made a lot of really great and brilliant friends in that ethical open source community as well, who um, I, you know, are doing really awesome things. Yeah, it's a it's a a movement that's definitely resonating with a lot of a lot of folks right now. Cool. Um, great. Yeah. Uh, I love the term farm to table open source. That's <laughs> right. fantastic. Um, I feel like there's there's a, a painting in the in the making there. Yeah, yeah. I think it visualizes it and it also kind of uh, parallels another movement um, that it doesn't, you don't have to be mi militant about it. It's just, can you peel back the layers and, and look a little bit deeper into what you're using and the ramifications of picking, making one decision over another, which mm -hmm. juggling decisions and looking at opportunity costs is a big thing that engineers do every day. Um, so just giving a little context to it. Absolutely. Um, so. I am curious, what, what do you look for when you're choosing it? Like if you're deciding between two different open source projects, um, what signals that one is more in line with your ethical mm -hmm. values than the other? How do you make that evaluation? That's really interesting you say that. So I think it, um, it, well, I'll start by doing the normal uh, approach of whether and looking at whether or not a repo it has a healthy, active community. Nothing really um, different from that. But then I, I'd like to know who the actors in the community are and who 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 founded the community. But those are natural things that you learn over time. And I there's not quite a checklist or a deep dive. Um, but part of this like ecosystem of an of active and healthy community um will come with having um a large and diverse contributor list um and active commits over a large large period of time um seeing uh security releases and patches on a regular basis um figuring out whether or not there is uh corporate funding of that project or if they have a dedicated maintainer um, who is doing that as part of their day job. Um, a lot of these things, I think, are just normal ways that you can keep a, a project really healthy, but it's also indicative of a community that uh, can communicate with each other um, and that um, knows how to uh, write an issue and then squash an issue um, and uh, and maybe focuses more on that discourse. I have a talk um, about what I look for um, um, and just kind of ways to be more aware of your of your community um, and the, the the tool that you're using. So for example, I use Gatsby and Wagtail as in Django, which is, uh, so let's give give some background on what these frameworks are. Gatsby is a static site generator um, that is actually built off of React. There's a lot of 
what I call as a Python engineer, uh, magic involved where it mm -hmm. dehydrates and rehydrates into this very performant um, web app that has all the accoutrement of a progressive web app, um, but um, is actually uh, kind of a static site generator um, under the hood and you can you know write in Markdown um, and other things. So that's one of the tools. I can talk more about really why I love Gatsby, but high level, uh, it would be the emphasis on accessibility, um, the really, really healthy community, the fact that Gatsby is a, a private company, um, but it really injects um, and has a symbiotic relationship where they inject a lot of resources into it. So they have this healthy community of like providing resources and then encouraging people to provide resources with some benefit on that as well. Um, and then Wagtail is a, a Python uh, CMS that is built on top of Django, um, a Python web framework. And um, I am on the core team of Wagtail, so I may be a little bit biased, but I also uh, joined the core team because it aligned a lot with my personal missions of, of having uh, an equitable place for people to communicate. We have a code of conduct that we are very, very uh, proud of. We abide by the contributor covenant. Mm -hmm. um, a a product of one of a, a really great friend of mine, Coraline Enke, who also founded the um, ethical source movement in 2018. Um, so there's a lot of uh, parts, moving parts to what could make a community uh, really, really special. Um, I've stumbled upon a couple, and I only tried to uh, impart that that knowledge to others so they can have some like key things that they they can look on uh, look to when they're when they're doing their their search as well. Those are those are great things to call out. Um, I have not heard of Wagtail before, so I'm okay. gonna go check it out after this. Um, cool. So it seems like there's a lot of of overlap between um, what you look for in an ethical from an ethical perspective and an inclusive perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was I was getting that um, correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. Um, so I could talk a little bit more. So I mentioned uh, Coraline Imke's, um Contributor Covenant, um, which she made some odd years ago. I can't remember when. It was it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, so she also, um, in 2018, started the Ethical Source uh, License um, in the wake of um, the backlash with uh, GitHub and the relationship mm -hmm. with the ICE Detention Center, um, right. and then created the Hippocratic License, uh, which in its most simplest form is described as do no harm. And so then from there, um, she's inspired um, a number of people, including myself, uh, to create other licenses. And so I'm working on the anti-racist license. And to my knowledge, it is the only uh, ethical anti-racist license that exists. Um, and so we are doing, we are currently writing our first uh, version of the anti-racist license. Um, and we also have an anti-racist software developer kit that we're coming out with as well, which we're really excited. We're starting in Python. Um, and so the goal, and if anyone listening is also interested in contributing, um, the goal um, is to um, tap into some of that knowledge that already exists out there um, on how to make and build inclusive software, um, and then uh, create a, a package starting with Python um, and uh, to communicate with the APIs that already exist, build APIs that uh, can uh, transpose and uh, provide uh, tools 
from that knowledge. Um, and so we have a very, very rich community of people doing good things in the community to make inclusive systems. And we'd like to keep them all in um, one place. And because uh, racism is uh, intersectional, um, we don't uh, limit to specifically and explicitly uh, tools that are uh, that uh, discriminate by race because of all tools or excuse me all discrimination is going to be doubly affected by those um intersectionally marginalized so we're really really excited about the direction we have a, a good small team of people working on it right now um and we're hoping that we can we can push some stuff out soon can you give me an example of one of the tools Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're, we're all in the we're building stages, right? So there's there's not much I can speak on that exists now, um, sure. but I have some like examples out of my pocket, right? So one that's really easy to uh, represent would be um, uh, like for forms, right? So forms are commonly just like misused or not created in an inclusive uh, way. So one of the ways would be, um, and we, we could make it for uh, different different front ends, um, but it would be like a testing kit for forms um, and would create some type of name generator. Um, this is kind of mocked out, but not in, built yet, but a name generator um, that can give all sorts of different characters or uh, name lengths to test your form to make sure that it is inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, that's an example. Um, you could also do other demographic information. For example, are they if, it, if you're expecting an international crowd um, and you're testing with international addresses, does it work? Um, Another one that I thought was really cool, but I actually don't have access to anyone working on this side. And so excuse me if I'm using some of these um, words incorrectly, but we many people of uh, darker skin tones, I am a black woman, um, have issues with um, cameras and digital cameras and having them adjust to correctly to my skin tone and the light around me. Um, and for those who have figured it out and made it work, share those settings, share those tools, what are they? Can you can you help us out? So there's there would be some types of, of connections or questionnaires or or tools that would help connect you and guide you to the right uh, right tool uh, for the job and then what settings are are the best for their for the users. That's awesome. It'd be like um kind of lighthouse, but for mm -hmm. racism. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. I've been modeling a lot off of um, Amazon software developer kit, uh, which mm -hmm. I really like, um, just because they have so much and so many apps that are kind of sticking into this um, into Boto three. Um, and so because my background is in Python, I'm, I'm mimicking a lot of Python systems and Python packages that I already um, have little engineer crushes on. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm gonna use steal that phrase, engineer crush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so what are some of the biggest challenges that you see open source yeah. facing? Interesting. Um okay, so I'll give this one could be a two-parter. Um so one of the things I I just like cringe at um, is the way that we imagine open source to be this egalitarian, um, like just utopia, right? And if, if all we need to do is like smooth out all of the uh, friction and then be hands off and then 
geniuses will genius and we will create uh, genius tools. Um, and I am not, uh, I think the far more pragmatic approach to me are, um, uh, are things need to be tended to to grow in general. And I think that's a good metaphor for um, open source as well. And no uh, small granular community or larger community is going to need the exact same thing. So it's about being patient and empathetic and communicative to be able to uh, foster these systems for growth. Um, and in that vein, I love this uh, one area of research. Um, her name is, um, she's an economist named Lisa Cook. And uh, uh, NPR did an awesome, <laughs> awesome breakdown on Planet Money about it. Um, but their, her research is about um, uh, innovation and the tools or the things that you need to innovate. And um, she was looking, so one of her mentors said, uh, well, it needs to be in the legal system and you need to stay out of the way and just make things easy for people. And one of the metrics uh, as a proxy for innovation was patents. And then so she took and questioned this, the, the premise. So she took a period of time from the 1870s to the 1940s and used patents as an indicator of health um, and, indi and, and innovation. And then uh, marked uh, times in, in history where there were large racist events um, and tracked and saw that when times were good um, and there were no uh, ra marked racist events um, at that time, uh, for example, African Americans were making a lot of gains or holding office or owning, owning property, patents increased. Um, but then when there were large racist events, um, African American patents decreased. And she proved as much through empirical researched evidence um, and also had to stand in front of her peers and um, display and write this evidence as well and had peer review. And there was also this really interesting approach on how she had to describe these events um, and give some things that uh, give some context that some people or like you or I may uh, feel is intuitive um, and have to like explain how uh, psychological safety leads to uh, progress and innovation. Um, and I, I think that is an interesting um, start. And then I think there's a, a definitely a place for that in open source as well. Mm -hmm. so maybe use different metrics, commits, and number of contributors. But I think there's definitely a way we could track, uh, track that same kind of progress and safety in a community. Absolutely. That's that's fascinating. I'm going to look up Lisa Cook after this. Um, right. So yeah. cool. Very, very cool. I love when I get recommendations from yeah. from these sessions. And Dr. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Cook. Dr. My, Lisa my, Cook. My mistake because yes. she is a PhD. <laughs> well, naturally. I just assumed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and you said economist. Yeah. Okay. Doctor. Yeah. Um, how do you think we can address some of these challenges? Oh, great. Okay. Ooh, far be it from me to say that I have all the answers, but there are a couple of things that I've seen people do uh, that look great, and I think we should keep them up and maybe try some tweaks on it. But um, I like um, apprenticeship programs. Um, I really enjoy uh, the idea of having um, bounties on open source projects. Um, I think that to get 
people in is not for the lack of interest or just diverse groups of people in um, is not for the lack of interest is uh, for the lack of resources. I know that it was hard for me to get into open source because I was busy trying to like live and pay my bills. Um, and when I first started learning, I was really beholden to just how much time I had and then like the kindness of these Python strangers in my Python uh, Python users group and my local, local meetup. Um, so I think having some monetary benefit for people really learning and not being so tied to this cut and dry value, um, va direct line of value provide um, with like issue squashing. Um, and it also makes sense to me uh, as, as we are, as we're having this open source ecosystem and it's it's common that we're we're clearing out the backlog and the issue issues for multi-million dollar organizations um and there should be a, a, a this altruistic feedback loop of resources mm -hmm. and and giving back and forth so um i hope that I, I worded that well but yeah i think that getting new people in and giving them the resources to do so and sustain themselves I wholeheartedly agree. And I love the idea of apprenticeship programs. And I think I was just talking about that in a in a different context. Um, so I'll have to have you back to talk about what the ideal apprenticeship program. Awesome. Oh, great. Um, I can get point. a list of some of my friends and what they're doing. But I have yes. I've, I've done a, uh, I've been an apprentice. Uh, not in a program, and I know a couple of people who are doing some programs, and I'm I'm excited to chat about what they're doing. Yeah, awesome. Well, we have time for one one last question. Sure. Um, which is the nebulous? Any parting thoughts for us today? Interesting. Um, I would love to go to harken back to our our first part of the talk uh, with the farm to table approach. I kind of thought of that right before we got on the call. I may not be the first person to come up with it, uh, but uh, I I implore people um, to take their, do their due diligence on their tools and their code. I mean, I think one of the more recent events, Neo4j um, being a, a big vulnerability for so many different systems. Um, it's just another, I mean, we, we get these cycles all the time that we realize how fragile open source can be. Um, but even for just like the most practical approach, like figure out what your code is running on um, and then invest in tools that help you figure out what code is running on. I mean, it's impossible these days with as large as so, um, open source has gotten in the past several decades. Uh, but the, it's, it's it's not lost to try on it and to try and to to work on that on that goal even though it's a behemoth of a task um so i'm excited to do, try my best at a farm to table approach and i'm i'm i respect a lot of people who who do so as well well i look forward to seeing this this phrase um <laughs> pop up more more and more so Thank you for introducing it to us here. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for coming on um, Open Source Stories and telling us your story. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay.